It's the Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and in today's podcast, now you might remember a few months back, we had Dr. Francis McIntosh on the show. Francis is the curator along Hadrian's Wall for English Heritage, and she showed me around the remains of Rome's northernmost town, Roman Corbridge. And today's podcast, we're going in a similar vein, because whilst I was up there at Hadrian's Wall, I was also fortunate enough to be shown around another remarkable Roman site by Francis. And this site is the best preserved cavalry fort from Roman Britain, Chester's Roman Fort, situated on Hadrian's Wall itself. Now, Chester's, it's not just renowned for how well preserved the cavalry fort itself is, but it's also famous for having the best preserved military bathhouse from Roman Britain. It's an extraordinary site, as you're about to find out. So without further ado, here's Francis. So Francis, we've headed north. Whereabouts are we now? So we're at Chester's or Silernum or Kylernum, if you want to choose a Latin name, drawn on the forts on the wall a few miles east of the location of Corbridge. And as we're approaching Chester's now, we're approaching from beyond the wall. Yep, we're north of the wall or in Barbaricum maybe as the Romans might have called it and we're entering the fort through the impressive north gateway. Although only the foundations remain today, this north gateway would have been a monumental structure designed to emphasise power and strength to anyone passing through this frontier fort. So to get in here you would have had to pass through the soldiers guarding the wall. So you can see guard chamber on either side, this would have been a double arched gateway and you would have maybe had to know the password if you were Roman, if you were a non-Roman, you know, Britain, you know, what's your business in the fort? Would you have been allowed in? Yeah, we don't know. And we're crossing over the threshold, so we're now safe, thank goodness, in the empire. <laughs> so we are now in the empire itself and these huge gateways, I'm just looking at the foundations, yep. are they quite recognisable throughout the fort where these gateways would have been? Yep, so there's at Chester's we've got four main gateways and two small gateways. Most forts just have four, one on each side. But yeah, they're standard layout, standard location. You'd know where to expect them. It's on a good pattern. Fantastic. Well, I'm dying to see what's inside the fort. Yeah, let's go and have a look. From the gateway, we made a beeline for the centre of the fort. The heart of a Roman fort is its headquarters or Principia. And you can see here, it's quite nice being a bit above. We can see the full layout of it. So. We'd walk in, go into the entrance, and there's these rooms off this side, and then this open courtyard in the middle. And there's quite a famous carving in the middle of the courtyard that I'll I'm see if you can spot. I'm dying to see, absolutely, absolutely. This is a massive space, isn't it? It's really absolutely huge. dominates yeah. the heart of the fort. So this is the centre of the fort. It's where all the administration would take place. You know, people would come for their orders. And it's where the strong room is, as we saw at Corbridge. And we are walking along the side of So we're the... in the middle of the Principia in a courtyard. These bits would be rooms here and you can see again, you'll start to see the same features, pillars to hold a covered walkway. And this is the drain where the water would drip off the roof for these offices here. It's incredible to visualise how these walkways would have looked some 2,000 years ago, complete with pillars and a roof within the Principia itself. And it was then that we came across the famous carving. We're talking about something which isn't a similar feature from what we've seen earlier. No. I'm not going to say what was that because I think I know what that yes. is. We are staring at a penis. Yes, or a phallus, a phallic carving as we say in you know Roman studies. The phallus was a really important symbol to the Roman army, symbol of strength and good luck, not just the kind of the classic fertility. So you'll see it on lots of 
belt fittings and all sorts of decorative pieces from belts and other things that the soldiers wore, but also you'll find it carved on stones. We've got one here in the headquarters. So it's a symbol of fertility and a symbol of good luck. Yeah, and strength as well. So yeah, it wasn't just, you know, we see it just as about fertility and a bit of a joke, but it wasn't that at all in the Roman period. There's quite a few on, actually, on Hadrian's Wall as well, so it's always good to keep your eyes peeled when you're walking along. Francis and I continued further into the interior of the Principia and what was a very sacred, heavily guarded part of the fort. So this is the back area of the Principia, the heart of the fort. That's right. So you've come in through that door... There'll be one set of guards there. There'll be another set of guards here because you're going further and further into the inner sanctum. So we think that was a podium, perhaps where orders might be given. And in here, in Chester's, we have the shrine where the standards were kept, the Ides, which we didn't... The floor had gone, hadn't it, at Corbridge? Mm. But you see here, this is our strong room, which was underneath this Ides, the shrine, the standards. And you get a much clearer sense, can you, here? So yeah. this is this really sacred space here and off to the side down here yep. with what looks like thankfully some much easier steps yes. to walk down um, you have the strong room with the strong room with the roof so you can see the size it's much bigger it's almost double the size of the corbridge one and you mentioned this is the heart of the fort if you look that way if the ground was as it was in the Roman period you could see the north gate so when you entered the north gate the street would lead up here so the eyes is right in the center and could potentially be visible all the way from there. So it's really, really important because it's symbolically important, but it's also in the middle, so it's most protected. So someone actually possibly walking through that gate, coming down from the south, could walk through that gate, and as soon as they walk through, they could see possibly the glimmer of the standard in the far distance. Yeah, if the doors were open. So, you, and you know this is where it always would be in a fort. So you've come into the fort, and the south gate's that way, and the north gate's that way, it's right in the middle. Having the strong room and the standards, this was an incredibly important part of the fort. And just before we headed down into the strong room itself, something which really strikes you is how well preserved the whole subterranean structure is, especially when you look at the design of the roof. Well, one other thing I just noticed there, I do love, the, is the, the vaulting. Yes, it's original. Oh, original vaulting. Ex absolutely. And this was covering the safe room. Yeah, the strong room. And when this was discovered in 1801, the wooden door was still intact. Really? Yeah. Any idea what happened to that wood now? It disintegrated oh. very quickly once it was exposed to the air, unfortunately. But we do know quite a funny story when they discovered it. The workmen were extremely disappointed that there wasn't treasure in there. Oh, a shame. Because, oh, you know, they were told about this treasure room in the middle of a fort. There was a few coins, but not many. Next, we headed down into the strong room itself. Do take care. It's a little bit damp. We've got problems with drainage on this site, which the Victorian excavators also struggled with. Oh, you are. You're right. It is a bit damp, yes. isn't it? So you said the Victorians, they struggled with this as well? Yeah, so we've got accounts of them struggling and they were putting in drainage to make it easier to access the site and that's how they discovered the bathhouse, which we'll go and see later. So it's quite a nice coincidence, really. Otherwise, they might never have found it. Well, I mean, it kind of gives a sense, doesn't it, when you're in here, how well, very close in it is, you know, people coming down, yep. once again, as we saw at Corbridge, coming down from the main heart of the Principia, down here to get the money, perhaps the most secluded space, bringing it up and then dispersing it to the troops or whoever. Yeah, and if you think they've come into the Kippy, you walk through how many gates? That's probably one, two, three, maybe three or four passwords and sets of guards you've got to get past, so yeah. Absolutely. Mission Impossible Roman style, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> From the Principia, we headed down towards the river and towards one of the standout structures at Chester's. So Francis, we're now south of the wall and the fort. That's it, we're out of the fort, we're safe in the Empire, so below the wall. We're down by the river and coming up to the bathhouse. One of the best parts, I think, of sight. 
and it looks remarkably well preserved. How did they uncover it? So when we were up in the headquarters, we were talking about the drainage. The Victorians were putting drains in and you can see the land slopes away and the land would have continued down to the riverbank and they put drains in and started to find the walls. So that was completely covered until the excavations in the 1870s and 1880s. So 150 years earlier, we can just picture this as just being this slightly sloping mound. Yeah. And we would have had no idea this was there until they started digging here. Yeah, so they put a drain in, found a wall and uncovered the best preserved bathhouse in Roman Britain. Well, wow. military bathhouse. I'm sure Bath would have something to say about. <laughs> well, I'm dying to have a look. Yeah. You build it up. Let's go in and we'll go in the entrance that the bathers would have gone in. Fantastic. The entrance leads us into the remains of a stunning structure. What was once a large covered room, it is complete with some interesting cubicle-like niches embedded into the north wall. So this is the entrance to the changing room and um, you can see here our really famous niches. Every group who's ever visited Chester's has to have a photo, I think, in there. And it's really interesting in this site because you can see, so this, where my feet are, was the floor level when the bathhouse was first built, presumably around the time of the fort being built in the 120s. This, where your foot is, is a bench. There would have been a wooden bench on the top here. You can see the lovely sculpted bench foot. And by the fourth century, this was the floor level. So again, that change in floor level, but also change in use. Because by the fourth century, this bathhouse was out of use because it was too big for the garrison that was in the fort. So they repurposed it. And we think, well, we know some evidence of butchery was happening here. So we don't think it was a bathhouse, but we're not quite sure what's happening in here. So really interesting, just in those little clues, what you can see the change. Absolutely, this is once again like at Corbridge. We see over right. the centuries the progression of like the, how high or how low the floor level yeah. was, and it's yeah. the same here in this bath. Yeah. And so this would have been the first room, as you said, this is the changing room. Yeah, the changing room. There's a lot of debate about what these niches were for. Were they to put your clothes in? Were they for statues? Because we often know there's religion and religious worship linked with bathing, but you know we don't know, but they do make a really good place for a photo. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, I'm Eleanor Yanaga. And I'm Matt Lewis. And all this month on Gone Medieval, we're delving deep into the pivotal moments that shaped the destiny of England. The Battle of Hastings. Three men struggle for supremacy. The Saxon king, Harold Godwinson. The Viking warlord, Harold Hardrada. And the ambitious Norman duke, William the Conqueror. So join me, Eleanor Yanaga. And me, Matt Lewis, for Gone Medieval from History Hit. Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ancients listeners, I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. 
It's called Mysteries at the Museum from Travel Channel. It's narrated by my fellow History Hit podcast host, Don Wildman, and is direct audio from the hit TV show, Mysteries at the Museum. Now on Mysteries at the Museum, Don travels across the US to find the objects that tell shocking stories of American history. You'll hear about the portrait linked to the first bank robbery in American history, and about the failed invention from World War II that became one of the most popular toys for kids. What I love about this podcast is that it's a deep dive into specific objects, revealing the amazing stories they can tell about a person, about a place, or a time in history. It's the detail and laser focus that really resonates with me. Listen to Mysteries at the Museum wherever you get your podcasts. Catastrophic warfare, bloody revolutions and violent ideological battles. I'm James Rogers and over on the Warfare Podcast we're exploring the vast history of ferocious global conflict. We've got the classics. Understandably, when we see it from hindsight, the great revelation in Potsdam was really Stalin saying, yeah, tell me something I don't know. The unexpected. And it was at that moment that he just handed her all these documents that he'd discovered sewn into the cushion of the armchair. And the never-ending. So arguably, every state that has tested nuclear weapons has created some sort of effect to local communities. Subscribe to Warfare from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on the front line of military history. From the changing rooms and these famous niches, a Roman soldier would then progress through various rooms of this military bathhouse. So if we come through here and then you've got a choice, do you go hot? or cold first, and dry or wet, so we can completely change. So what do you fancy? Should we go? Let's say cold first. You okay, want to go cold. so we're going to go this way, and we're going towards the river, and this was our cold bath. Or our, it's not quite a plunge pool, it's a bit bigger than a plunge pool, but you'd go in here. And again, this is quite confusing, so if you have a look, we're below the floor again. You can see here, this is a drain, so this would have been covered up. This would be the floor level, we've lost that so there's loads of things going on under the floor but yeah so cold room there then you could walk through into there to warm up and you can go from cold to warm to hot so is that the natural progression that you would go in the change room although it seems that you've got this choice between going yeah. hot or cold you would probably go hot first sweat out some of the dirt go to cold to purify you could go back and forth so it's very much like a spa nowadays although there wouldn't have been soaps and things, but you would have oils and strigils to scrape off the dirty sweat. And so what's a strigil? So it's a curved metal item that you'd use to scrape off the oil and the sweat and all the dirt that you picked up, you know, training as a Roman soldier. Fantastic. So let's say I've just had my cold bath. Yep. Where would I go next? Let's go hot. Let's go we? hot. So we go back, retrace our steps, and you can see here where the doors would be, in through the doorway, and in here we're in a dry, hot room and the heat is coming through from this room. Now, you can't see it very well because we're going to stand on it, but underneath us is a hypercourse. Now, what was a hypercourse? So that was underfloor heating, basically. Ah. So there's pillars underneath all of these flags. So at the moment we're stood on modern flags, but on that other side there's some original flags. And down on that side is a stoke hole. It would have been a covering over there. Some poor slave probably would have had to stoke the fire and there would have been heat under the floor, but also 
amazingly, up the walls. So you can see the floor tiles don't go to the edge of the wall. And these things here, which will survive, leave an air gap. So the hot air comes under your feet, but also the wall. So the wall and the floor would be hot. So as remembering, as you're saying there, so perhaps a poor slave would be pumping this hot air yep. underneath. It would be coming under here. It would be sifting through the gaps or through the sides yep. to make this a very, very hot room. Yeah. So sauna, because it's hot, dry. So we, they did have steam rooms, but this one's more like a sauna. Um, and then next door, the heat would continue to flow through underneath. So this won't be as hot, because obviously we're a bit further away from the fire, but still pretty warm. So, you know, a less super hot sauna. <laughs> next came the steam room, long and narrow in its design at the far end of the bathhouse. This is even more difficult almost to describe because all of the floor is gone. So all the hypercourse that we were mentioning earlier is gone. So we would have to float, because this is the floor level in the Roman period. Some steps have been created using some ceiling arches, pieces, and we're now inside what was the hypercourse. It's up to my waist. You imagine we'd be walking along here. And the steam is created from water in here. So there would be a kind of a fountain and then also a hot bath there so the steam will be coming off both so you've got hot dry hot warm and then down to the cold so i'm just imagining a roman soldier he's come down from the fort he's gone through the changing yep. room he's either gone down to the cold or up to the hot gone through the doors of course he said higher level back then yep. and said now walking into the steam room and once again you have this connected chamber yep. which is basically pumping and doing all the work to yep. create this so building. the furnace is on that side and there's pools there but here there'll be water again with more heat to yeah, yeah um, so, it's a really steamy atmosphere yeah and it would have been hot on the floor so you'd have had to wear we think wooden clogs to protect your feet because you're piping heat straight up onto stone that's going to make it really difficult to walk on and what other archaeology have we discovered from this very well preserved military bath so we've understood the potential flow and the changes so you see here this is another doorway so the door jams would have been here and the door would have been in the middle so we could go through that way there's a doorway there that's been closed up. So this was the original doorway. It's been closed up. So you see this has been used for such a long time. They would have changed the way they used it. And interesting, they found a lovely altar in here to Fortuna, who's the goddess of luck and gambling. So we know you didn't just come to the bathhouse to get clean. You came to socialise, to gossip, and probably to gamble and to relax. So you know, it's really interesting to think about this place that the soldiers could come to. It could have been possibly a dangerous place. Well, baths, maybe someone's going to swindle you out of some money if you're losing your game or, you know, down at Bath, the curse tablets there, people are talking about their cloaks being stolen whilst at the bathhouse. You know, are those niches changing rooms? Is it secure? We, you know, we just don't know. So Mr Gaius might be a bit vulnerable if he went down <laughs> to the bath and he made some enemies up at the fort. Yes. So could any soldiers come down and go to the Roman baths? Absolutely. Bathing was an essential part of Roman life. It was kind of... You know, you needed to feed the soldiers, you needed to give them wine, and you needed to let them come to the bathhouse. It's a really key part of being a Roman, keeping clean, but also the act of coming down, like we talked about socialising, you know, it was a really essential part of Roman life. Yeah, the soldiers would not have been happy if they couldn't have a bath. <laughs> the bathhouse at Chester's has been remarkably well preserved. Indeed, as Francis said, it is the best preserved Roman military bathhouse in Britain. But it is important to remember that Chester's was, first and foremost, a military installation. 
Right, well we've come into the barracks now. We can only see some barracks, um, but the fort would have been absolutely full with them. And at Chester's, the barracks here are for a cavalry unit. For cavalry? Yes. So if you look at this room, for example, this would be divided into two. At the front, three horses, at the back, three men. So they shared yes. a room together? Yeah, so for a long time, archeologists were looking for stables when the newer cavalry unit was based here and they were very confused because they were finding barracks but no stables. But we now know that three horses at the front, three men at the back. I mean, that must have been, just thinking of the hygiene and the sanitation, yeah. that must have been very, very smelly, having three yeah. men in the back room with the three horses right yeah. in front. So Wall's End, excavations there in their cavalry barracks found urine pits in the front. But yeah, and we think probably the barracks were two stories, so maybe there's a hayloft at the top, but you know, you'd want your horses near you. And they're a valuable asset. And also, I suppose it means they're safe within the fort. But yeah, I don't know if I would have enjoyed sharing a room with these horses. And, you know, it's quite tight. Quite tight indeed, indeed. And is this barrack sharing with the horses and the men at the back, is this repeated along the length? Of yeah, so this isn't a full run of barracks. There would have been 32 men in a terma, which is a cavalry unit, as opposed to a sentry, which is an infantry unit. So we've not got all of the rooms here, but you can see one, two, three, four, five barracks here and there's some more under the field and at the end is the decurion's quarters so the decurion is in charge of the terma whereas a centurion is in charge of a sentry and an infantry unit but you'll see the vast difference in the accommodation of the decurion compared to the ordinary cavalry soldier absolutely let's go and see and as we're walking up there now yeah. we say once again we have this yeah. line in the N middle nice drain here and that's another barrack so you can see how tightly packed they were it's just been row and on the other side there's another line of barracks so really packed in because you've got to fit 500 men and 500 horses into this fort so quite tight so just remind yourself this one room that's for the three men and the three, three horses. horses together this is the decurion's quarters ah. if you come in to that wall to that back wall there so possibly he shared this with his junior officer and they possibly had two horses each but even so Quite a big step up compared to compared to what we've just seen this is absolutely massive yes yeah it's quite luxurious isn't it absolutely i mean do we have any idea like with those barracks do we know would the horses have been in one small part and the rest i'm not the sure men? if we know that sort of level of detail for the decurions quarters to know exactly where the horses would be but it's likely it would have been in the front part but maybe they didn't have to quite share so closely but it's remarkable you see the similarities with some barrack blocks for for the infantry how you have these very small apartments yeah like eight men with the cooking quarters and all that and then at the end yeah you have this much bigger room for the centurion exactly perhaps, yeah. and it's a very similar layout here it's this idea of yeah. status yeah it? hierarchy in the army is very important but it's a big step up from being just a, a cavalry soldier to being a decurion and then think of this compared to the commanding officer's house how vast that is that's you know three four five times the size of this Chester's gives us incredible insight into the layout of a Roman cavalry fort on the frontier, this edge of empire. But I'm intrigued, just before we finish, to know a bit more about the troopers themselves. So Francis, what do we know about the cavalry stationed at Chester's? So the unit here was the second ally of Asturias. So they're from Asturias in northern Spain. So just one of those units coming from all of the empire to serve up on the wall. Absolutely. It just confirms the fact that we've seen across Hadrian's Wall have all these auxiliary units coming from far corners of the empire yeah. coming to this northwestern fringe to serve on this far-flung frontier. Yeah, yeah. It would be, you know, a real hodgepodge, different languages, different cultures all mixing. 
And we've been around this fort. It's a really impressive fort. We've seen the Prinkup here, the heart of it. We've gone outside to see the baths, the bridge, the barracks here for the cavalry. But begs the question, what happens to Chester's? Well, it's like all the forts on Hadrian's Wall. Over the years, particularly in the 4th century, the numbers of troops based here reduces. And then, officially, the end of Roman Britain in 410. Obviously, we know it's not that simple. But we don't know so much about the occupation here in the 4th and the 5th century. You'd have to go to Bird Oswald to find out that a bit more. Well, looks like that's my next stop. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this Ancients podcast on Chester's Roman Fort, the best preserved cavalry fort from Roman Britain. It's an incredible sight. You must go and visit when you do get the chance. Now, if you want to watch the full documentary that we did with Francis at Chester's, but also at Corbridge and at Housteads and at many other sites situated along Hadrian's Wall, then go to History Hit TV access.historyhit.com and look for the ancient series Edges of Empire Hadrian's Wall Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code ANCIENTS at checkout.